Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for finding some time to have a listen today. And I hope you are well and finding some time for yourself as we head into the final months of the school year for most of you. Please remember to keep taking care of yourself and each other. Before we get to today's conversation with Elena Aguilar, I want to thank TeacherWit for being a sponsor of the Shifting Our Schools podcast and for hosting my next live webinar on exploring our world with Google Maps and Google Earth on May 10th at 12 p.m. Pacific, that's 1900 UTC, And on July 3rd, Kath Murdoch stops by to talk about her new book, Getting Personal with Inquiry Learning. To attend any of these free webinars, just head over to teacherwit.com and join this growing and amazing community of inspiring educators. And you can watch the webinars live or you can watch the recordings after the fact if the time doesn't work out for you. Thank you to Teacher Wit for being a sponsor of the Shifting Our Schools podcast. Teacher Wit, creating an inspiring community of educators. Pride Month is just around the corner, so we're gearing up to support you in supporting your students. On May 12th, you're not going to want to miss Trisha Friedman's two-hour session on starting and sustaining Pride that starts at 4 p.m. Pacific or 2300 UTC. We know LGBTQ plus inclusion matters beyond Pride Month. That is why Shifting Schools is excited to partner with Pride and Less Prejudice to bring you this resource-packed session that puts tools in your tool belt and books in classrooms. The session is $50, $10 of which goes to help fund inclusive books in classrooms through Pride and Less Prejudice. In this session, you'll get the following. A digital portfolio where you can customize resources shared, document ideas, and leverage your learning to be shared with others student-facing templates to be used all year round, protocols and audits to remix and distribute, access to our Slack space for asynchronous sharing and collaboration afterwards, and help in promoting your GSA or LBGTQ alliances in schools. You are not going to want to miss this chance to be a better ally for your students and staff. Head over to shiftingschools.com to learn more and sign up today. I'm so excited for this opportunity that we get to share with you. If you're looking for even more information and resources to support your students in school, for Pride Month, you can join Trisha again in the TeacherWit community with a webinar on Pursuing the Possibilities of Pride Month. And if you are looking for more resources and support around celebrating Pride Month with your students, check out her website, QueerWisdom.com for resources and a community to support you in supporting your students. All right. I'm going to guess that many of you already know Elena Aguilar. She has authored six books, including The Art of Coaching, Onward, Cultivating Emotional Resilience in Educators, and Coaching for Equity. Today, we talk about her new book due out on May 24th called simply The PD Book, Seven Habits to Transform Professional Development. What a conversation on creating the purpose and structures needed to have a successful PD session. Of course, you can find the link to pre-order the book 
along with all other links mentioned in this episode in our show notes. I'm excited to share this conversation with Elena Aguilar. And with that, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm so excited. We've got the author of the new book, The PD Book, here with us today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here. And I'm not even going to say who it is. I'm just going to let it sit. I'm going to let you introduce yourself and uh, let our listeners hear all about uh, you, your journey, and then we'll dive into the new book, The PD Book. So welcome to the podcast. All right. Thank you. Well, I'm Elena Aguilar, and I am the co-author of the new PD book. I wrote that along with Lori Cohen, and that is my seventh book now. I can't believe I've written seven books. My first book was The Art of Coaching, which folks may be familiar with. And then I wrote The Art of Coaching Teams and Onward, which is about emotional resilience and Coaching for Equity. And there were a couple others in there. Um, I live in Oakland, California, and I moved here in 1995 to work in the Oakland public schools. And I thought I was going to be here for two years. And I can't count how many years it's been now. (laughs) I ended up um, staying in the, I I had just, I thought I was going to live in Oakland for a couple of years and then move somewhere more rural. And I wanted to continue teaching, but um, I ended up staying in the Oakland Public Schools for 19 years, where I was a teacher, a coach, an administrator. And I I really imagined that I would actually retire from the district. I loved the work and the community and my colleagues. Um, But I wrote The Art of Coaching, and it took me on a whole new adventure that I had never imagined. And that led me to found my own company. So I am the founder and CEO of Bright Morning Consulting, and we do learning experiences for folks around the world, previously in person and now virtually. And so that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, thank you, Elena, for being here. Uh, I've read your books. When I was an instructional coach, uh, we did all kinds of uh, uh, book clubs around some of your coaching books back in the day. And uh, so so it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. Uh, so I'm just, I'm excited to have you here. It's going to be great. Why this book? Why now? I think that's my first thing like of, of you know, you, you've, you've done books on coaching and on, you know, intelligence, like you were saying, why this book? Why now? Why is this the time for you think this book right now? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, so all of the work I've done really is about how to create the conditions in which people can learn. And I like to start there with a statement that broad, because I will say that a lot of the strategies that I share around coaching in schools are ones that I have used with my child. I have used them in terms of trying to help him get up on time for school and um, recognizing that when I use the communication strategies that I call coaching strategies, they are super helpful in all realms of my life. When I'm having conversations with my husband about the best practices for the dishwasher, for example, (laughs) I draw on those strategies to um, be heard and to listen and to 
keep, you know, to preserve a good relationship, which is really what is at the core of a lot of the work I do. Sort of how do we learn? How do we develop and preserve good relationships, have good connections with each other? My work has focused on schools and educators because I have a deep, longstanding commitment to uh, seeing every child in our schools thrive. But the, so the work I've done for years has really all been about professional development. Coaching is a form of professional development. Sure. And um, as I said, starting really about 10 years ago, I began to offer workshops on coaching and on coaching for equity. And year after year, folks would come to the workshops and the trainings that I put on and say things like, I feel really a little awkward sharing this, but because it, it's... it." Um, so they would say things like, that was the best PD I have ever been to. And I've been to 20 or 30 years of PD and yeah. saying, you know, and they would say things like, how did you do this? How did you know what to do? And so then I was doing workshops, let's say on emotional resilience and folks who are coaches and school leaders would say, you know, can you explain a little bit why in that activity you asked us to do it this way or that way? They were asking mm. questions about the design of the learning experience. And I was like, I want to talk about resilience or coaching, but yeah, I also <laughs> want to share with you what I'm doing because I know you do PD. And so there were just so many questions year after year, really asking about both the design and the facilitation of the learning experiences. And it was wonderful. It was incredible because people were saying like, this has been transformative, these two days or this, you know, this two hours of a virtual experience has been transformative. How can I do it? And I want people to know how I'm really committed mm -hmm. to like anything mm -hmm. I want to tell you about, I want to tell you how to do it because it, it, this also sounds very simplistic, but anything that I'm doing, it's a skill set. I've learned it. You can do it too. It's not magic and it's not rocket science. And I can teach you how to do it. I can break down the components and the steps. I can surface the underlying theory and I can give you some opportunities to practice so you can do it also, but you can do this. You can also create really powerful, meaningful coaching conversations and transformative PD. So in some ways, why this? It's been something that folks have asked me for for years. And it's also, um, when we talk about PD sessions, let me just take sort of a step back or a step up a little bit. We're talking about a space where people come together and build connection and build community with each other. And those spaces can be, I keep using this word, so at some point I might define it, but they can be transformative. They can be places where we cultivate resilience, where we develop new kinds of relationships with each other, where we see that we can create a different kind of world where we can be kinder, where we can listen to each other more, where we can have conflict and it's good conflict and it deepens a relationship. And so that's what I love about doing PD is it's like, I get to bring people together and show them that another way of interacting with each other is possible. One that is so deeply meaningful and rewarding and satisfying. And why now it's sort of, it just was the next book. Uh, it was the next book. And then I had um, my colleague, Lori, who has a lot of experience doing professional development and, I wanted to write it and felt like it would be helpful to have another author and another set of experiences and perspectives. And so she accepted that invitation. 
That's great. And, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, too. And I think uh, a lot of what you're talking about is how important the structure is, whether it's structure in the classroom around learning with kids or structuring your professional development. Right. Whether that is to your point, right, whether that is a staff meeting can be professional development if it is structured in a way that allows that to happen. A PLC can be PD if it's structured in a way that allows that to happen, right? The focus on the structure is in my, in my like, you know, as a consultant as well, I spend more time on the structure than I do the actual content that's going to be within that structure. Because if you set up the right structure, the right framework, you can have deep, meaningful conversations regardless of what the content is. You know, we could be talking about tech, we could be talking about social emotional health. Like it doesn't matter what the content is, the structure to the professional development in, in my, my world anyway, is I spend way more time on structuring it so that people have those experiences. The content's the content and we can do whatever we want within the content of that structure. And I think that for me when, you know, uh, as I got to read the book was just really came cup, cup coming back for me. It was just like, what are the structures that you're going to put in place to allow this to happen? And I think that's a really good question for, you know, the coaches and admin who are listening to this and, and educators, like the structure matters. Spend time on understanding why you are doing something specifically because you want a specific outcome come from the people that you're leading, whether they're five years old or 55 year old, that structure matters, right? So I, I love that. I would say, can I just add a thought to that? Um, so the PD book is built on seven habits that transform professional development. And the first habit is determined purpose. Mm. And so I would say that structure is critical, but purpose comes first. And so you want purpose to drive structure. And I found that that is often um, can be a missing component, though. Why are we doing this? I mean, it's really your in some ways, the question you asked me sort of why are we doing this? Why are we doing this now? And once that is determined and clarified, and then and specifically, what is the purpose? What, what are the outcomes we're looking for? I mean, this is basic teaching. Right. Um, but I find that so interesting because often when I'm working with coaches or leaders who were experienced classroom teachers, they're not transferring the skills that they engaged around lesson design and thinking about teaching. They're not transferring those to working with adults Correct. or having meetings or leading a PLC. It's like, right. okay, we're going to do this activity, this one, and this one. I'm like, but why? Why? What are the yeah. goals? What are the learning targets? Why do we, you know, I taught middle school for so long. I have this ingrained like eighth grade. Like, why do we have to do this? You know, so yeah. um, get starting there and then, and then letting that determine structure. Yeah. And I, I love this because this leads us into one of the questions that, that, I, that uh, we had here today, which is, you know, in, in the book, you have table, you have a table that clearly defines your thoughts on what professional development is and isn't. And one of the items in the isn't column is you say professional development is not a vehicle to maintain the status quo. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Because I love that. I love that idea. What does that mean to you? Can you kind of maybe speak on that for a second? It's it is not a vehicle to maintain the status quo. I love that. Yeah, I love that question. And um, I'm so curious, like I'm so tempted. Actually, I want to move into coach mode, or I also have a podcast. I'm like, I want to ask you, what did that mean to you? Cause I'm so curious yeah. how people are going to receive this. 
Um, so that is in the column of what professional development isn't, as you said, and the distinction there is uh, professional development isn't really shouldn't be a transactional process in which learners are passive subjects who are asked to simply change their behaviors. That's transactional. That's like, here's the new initiative. Here's what you're going to need to know. Here is the curriculum guide. We're going to be wanting to see you here, here, and here. Now you're going to practice some activities like that's transactional PD. And that, I think the, you know, the, the statement about, um, PD isn't a vehicle to maintain the status quo. So the status quo isn't working for people. And I think we need to start there, right? The status quo in education in the last couple of years, in other words, the way things have been, the way we're doing things, we're seeing that it's not working because we're seeing these incredibly high rates of turnover and transition. I just heard a statistic, someone who had done some research on um, teachers this year and retention and that something like 65% of teachers, I don't know what his sample group was or, but 65% of teachers were considering leaving the profession. I mean, that was, and then it was something like 40% of principals. And that's an absolute, that's a national crisis. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think we're seeing there's so much, I mean, our schools have not served children, have not served very many children ever, but now we're seeing so many of the adults who work in them saying, you know, and I, can't, I just can't make it work for me either. And so we think about part of the part of what the status quo asks us to do or part of the way it is maintained is when we don't question it and when we don't look at it and we don't say this isn't working and me just being told what to do is not working or meetings where we are just given another pile of information and and that administrators experience that all the time they hardly ever get professional development they go to lots of meetings they get lots of information but that, you know, and sometimes it's called professional development. Um, so in other words, I mean, PD, as you said, you could think about it as a structure, a meta structure that is can be used for anything. And it can be used to control people and to ask them to continue just doing what they've done without question. It can be used as a place. I mean, it sometimes is used as a place where people are um, just ask to continue engaging in practices that are not serving children. So that's in general what that's, I'm so curious what, how you read it, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, I, the thing I loved about that was just this idea that when, and it, we're going to get into this because there's a couple other great quotes that I want to get to as well. But for me, it's even the, what mindset do we have when we come to professional development? Right. And, and you, you, that's exactly what you're talking about. Like as, as a leader of professional development, I want to make sure that I'm not trying to come in and say, oh, by the way, I want you to keep doing the same thing you're doing. Just get better results. Oh, mm -hmm. don't worry. We updated your curriculum. Keep doing what you're doing. Just get better results. Right. That is maintaining the status quo versus looking at like we, we are we are failing this population of kids or we are not seeing success in this area. We have to change things up. And, and to me, that that is a, a major mindset that what is your mindset when you're coming into professional development? And to your point, I think for so long, we have failed educators in doing professional development that I think it's it's hard to not come into another PD session where I'm going to be told what to do and just do it better. I've been teaching for 27 years. Like, here we go again, right? And and I hear this all the time. And so it's it's really kind of getting through those mindsets. And what I love is one of like 
one of the things your book talks about, right, is the habits that you examine as a facilitator to be able to adapt, right? You talk about how important it is that we use and foster emotional intelligence and self-awareness as a culture of humanity, as, as facilitators. Can you talk more about like as a facilitator, especially in these times we've been in, this ability to adapt to the people in front of you who might be coming in with this mindset of like, oh, great, it's just another PD session on how we've got to take care of kids because it's social and emotional learning or, you know, whatever it happens to be. How as uh, like, can you maybe dig in a little bit? Because in, in the book, we talk about this, this ability to adapt to that situation as you are, you know, in front of leading adults, which are different than leading kids, right? Like there's, there's a different emotional <laughs> tie to this for sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your careful reading of the book. Uh, I know you got sort of an advanced peek at it. It's really yeah. exciting yeah. to hear. Um, the book comes out in late May. And so it's just starting to be, feel really exciting to talk to people who have read it. <laughs> Um, so the chapter you are referencing is the seventh habit, and that is facilitate adaptively. And we did conceive of the book as being one in which the chapters are read sequentially. So I just want to name that what you're bringing up, um, that exploration of how to facilitate adaptively comes after folks have explored some of the earlier concepts because they all weave in together. So for example, The second habit is to engage emotions. And that's one in which we really look at, you know, what does that mean? How do you cultivate awareness of your own emotions and those of others? And how do you respond to how people show up? I mean, one of the most frequently asked questions I get about coaching NPD is how do you deal with resistant teachers? How do you deal with the resistors? You know, how do you deal with the jaded, grumpy veteran teacher who is like, yeah, okay, this again. Here we go again. Um, And all of that is about emotions. And it's also about power. And so there's another chapter um, called Navigate Power. And so that's that intersection of how do you work with emotions, your own and others, and then how do you navigate? Power is always present. And it is particularly heightened in any situation where there's hierarchy. And so when you come in as the PD provider and you've got a group of learners there, there is inherently a power dynamic. And that is the responsibility of the facilitator to learn how to recognize. And as I say, navigate, deal with it like it's there and you can deal with it. And so then when we come to facilitating adaptively, which is being responsive to whatever happens. So. Um, I did a lot of PD for teachers on a Wednesday afternoon, right? This is typical like 2 to 3.30 sure. PD. And they have just taught a whole long day. And maybe there was a surprise fire emergency drill in the middle of the day. And they didn't really get to have lunch. And then they walk in and you can just see you're the PD provider. And you're like, you're the coach. And you've done, oh, you're working so hard on this. You know, you've got this. You're so excited. Yeah. (laughs) So excited. And then people are coming in late and you're like, oh, we're going to start late. I'm going to be behind (laughs) my agenda. You know, and then you see that one teacher walk in with that look on her face and you start thinking, And so facilitating adaptively is about being able to sort of draw on a big set of skills and say, these are the people in front of me right now. There's a very kind of, can you just tune into basic humanity, your own and that of others? Like, these are the people in front of me right now. What do they need? What do we do? How do I, in the the chapter on emotions, I write about how to shift a mood 
And, you know, how do I address my own surfacing grumpiness or my mood or maybe theirs? And how can I, um, this is also connected to another chapter, which is on designing and intentional design. And so how can I design in a way that might anticipate that teachers are going to come in because in this mood, because it's been a really hard year and they may not be ready to hear about, you know, in the middle of May, they not be ready to hear about the new technology platform that we're going to use next year and how we're going to integrate this and that. And you might be super excited about that, but so it's, it is about how do you, um, this is where we really hone in on communication skills, pay attention to nonverbal communication. How do you listen? How do you use your questions, your uh, comments to help people you know, perhaps have a little bit of space to breathe and sort of decompress after the day and then possibly to transition into the agenda because I'm not suggesting that we just throw our hands up in the air and have like a, you know, a 90 minute sort of um, processing or venting. Yeah, (laughs) venting session. I'm not suggesting that either. Right, but it's like, how do we be responsive and committed to the outcomes that we've determined? Yeah, yeah. And I, it, it so makes me think of, and I'll just share this because it was, it was a strategy that, that worked for me just recently, is I was doing a professional development um, r- recently and uh, this teacher walked in and I could tell right away, you know, like just like, you know, consulting for so long, like you said, you just read people and I could tell like, you know, this guy, he's, He's already just in the mindset of whatever I'm going to say, it's not going to be right. Like it just, you could see it coming. And I had them do a little like uh, uh, activity at the beginning. And the first activity that I had him do, he takes his piece of paper and he kind of just throws it across the desk and throws his hands up. And I'm like, oh, all right, here we go. Right. And I just went over and I took a knee next to him. And I just said, can you kind of show me what you're, what you're working on? What did you bring to work on today? And just let him go, right? And it was three years of trying to pivot to online teaching and having to move everything into this tech platform and then having to move everything over to that tech platform. And now you're telling me I need to try and do things differently. And and it was just like, it all just like, right? And I didn't say anything. I just literally sat there on a knee, right? Shaking my head, just kind of, and he just needed to be heard. He just needed to say, this is where I'm at. I am basically at my wits end. <laughs> it's been three rough years. And now I'm back in another professional development training, being told that whatever I'm doing is not good enough, like in his mindset, right, of where he's at. And it was great. Like I, it literally took, you know, while everybody else was working on, a, on their activities. And I just, you know, kneeled down next to this guy and let him vent for probably three, four, five minutes. Uh, and then I said, okay, thanks for letting me know. Um, what did, what are we working on today? And he kind of took a deep breath and it was fantastic. Like it just changed the power dynamic. Right. And I think to that point of sometimes people just need to be listened to, you know, to your point, like that, that Wednesday at the end of the day, when they all come in and you're super excited and you can just read on the faces like, Oh, today was one of those days. How do you pivot? How do you adjust? How do you meet people emotionally? And, stre- and at, even at a stress level of where they're at, I think it's critical when you're, le- when you're leading professional development. But I have found a lot of times just going over and kneeling next to somebody and saying, can you tell me about it? And just, you know, they just want to be heard. Uh, that's what I find a lot with educators anyway. So um, 
if that helps anybody else, sometimes you just got to kneel down next to somebody and let them go. So it's a, it's a good way to get stuff, to get stuff off their, off their chest. But, uh, as you were writing this book, um, you know, and again, it was an honor to get an early, early copy. And as I was kind of reading through it, I was wondering like, are, are there any parts in it that surprised you or were there any parts like I'm, I'm writing the book for, for like, this is the most important section that everybody has to read. And the rest of the book is really about this one really important section. I mean, I've just think like the books that I write, I'm usually, there's like one chapter that I'm like, okay, that's the chapter everybody needs to read, but you've got to be able to build it and put structure around it. And, and like, is there something for that for you in this book? Like, you're like, okay, this is the, this is the thing. I think that the chapter on navigating power is mm. the one that is, um, that is not, those ideas are not in any other book I've read on doing PD and uh, they're not as explicit and there aren't a whole lot of books on doing PD. Um, but it's, and it's not just in books, but it's one of the concepts that I think is not unpacked anywhere. When Mm. people start talking about PD, this is not one of the things that is explicitly deconstructed. I would say that one and the chapter on emotions are the ones, and the chapter on power is the one that we've gotten a lot of feedback on of people saying, you you know, the, the folks who got the book to endorse, this is really unique. This is, it's, it's, a denser chapter and it's a little, there's elements that are more theoretical, but I have found that that is at the crux of so much of the challenge. And then it's being able to draw on the strategies around engaging emotions. So for example, in that anecdote you just shared, I really heard you not being triggered by this person's way of showing up. And not, you know, and I have been triggered so many times. I mean, this is something I've been worked on for years. I used to see people come in like that and sort of feel like here he is again doing that. This is just a way to hold back learning and he's going to, you know, his toxicity is going to spread and I'm getting triggered. I'm getting all riled up and making all these stories up in my mind. And so learning the skills to navigate your own, manage your own moods, and then to navigate the power. So you're kneeling down next to him is probably, you know, it's likely something you might've done with students, with children, because that's what teachers often do when they know there's a kid who's distressed, right? But then with adults, we go into this, like, I'm the, you know, I'm the coach, I'm the consultant, I'm going to stand above you. And and we get into this like weird power dynamic stuff Mm. that is about our own moods, our insecurities, our own whatever. Um, And so being able to have, you know, such a subtle little thing that you did. And like you said, three or four minutes of just listening. And then he was back involved, you know, it's, but it it's, and you may have developed that skill just through a lot of years. I mean, you wouldn't be a successful consultant if you hadn't developed that skill, but that's, um, you know, that's why I say what I do is not magic. It's not rocket science. It's stuff I've learned. And it's like, and I've been through, I've done all the things. If I was to make a list of like, here's 50 things not to do when you are delivering, (laughs) I've done them all and I've done them for years. And I've learned that like, yeah, well, doing that didn't get me to my ultimate outcome, to my ultimate goal, which is, you know, this could be better and it could be better for kids and it could be better for the adults and we could make it better. doesn't have mm. to be this way. Doesn't PD doesn't have to be the kind of thing that you 
dread going to, or that ends up feeling like a big drain. And it doesn't have to be that way for the facilitators either. It can be something, it doesn't have to be something that feels contentious or exhausting. It can be energizing and um, connecting for everyone. Yeah, I love that. Can you talk a little bit um, around this idea of power and instructional coaches? Because I know a lot of instructional coaches, when I'm talking with instructional coaches, one of the things I feel like a lot of instructional coaches struggle with is this idea of there's a perceived power sometimes from teachers that instructional coaches have the power to evaluate or that they're different than me as a teacher. And I find a lot of times instructional coaches are constantly struggling with the power they they don't feel like they have or that they, they're not in this situation. But there's just, as an instructional coach, you're almost like this kind of middle management position where you don't have power, but there's perceived power from those you're trying to support. How, what, what kind of suggestions do you have for, for maybe instructional coaches that find themselves in those situations when they're working with, with educators, whether it's an after-school PD or one-on-one in a coaching cycle or something like that? Yeah, it's such an important um, challenge to unpack because really the problem is in the larger systems and the absence of a clearly articulated program or framework. So what happens is it starts feeling really personal, but the problem is, let's say specifically talking about coaching, any coaching program needs to be thought of, first of all, as a program. Often coaches are like, let's just hire some coaches without (laughs) having what I consider a coaching program. What are the goals of the program? How are we going to evaluate its success? What are the structures in which folks are going to use? Who is who gets to be a coach? What is the authority based on? What kind of coaching will they do? How do we evaluate coaches? How do we provide PD for coaches? These are all these questions that are often unanswered. And I do a lot of coach, I do a lot of consulting around coaching programs. And I so often work with organizations or districts who tell me about the struggles in their, in their, with their coaches. And I say, what's the goal of your coaching program? And they sort of like, the goal, you know, uh, I guess can like help kids learn. Okay. That's a good start, but let's, you know, what, what are the indicators of success? What are the values of your coaching program? How do you communicate? So I'll get more specific. If a coach is engaging in transformational coaching in the way that I have described it, I write about it, teach it, practice it, then the coach is not the ultimate holder of knowledge. The coach is the facilitator of a reflective process to help someone examine their decisions and be able to make decisions that are in the best interest of every child in their classroom. That means that I could coach a an AP physics teacher. I never took physics. I don't understand anything about physics at all. I don't understand the content, in other words. But I could coach that teacher because my expertise is not about the content. It's about the facilitation of a learning process. And so just naming that begins to shift the conceptual understanding of what is a coach 
you know, what is their power based on? And so whenever you set up like this is our math coach because they have, a, you know, they have a master's in advanced mathematics and they were trained in this and this and this, that is setting up a a power or a, an authority, a credibility that's based on a sort of knowledge, perhaps skill set. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm saying that we need to name what is the authority based on. Mm. So there's ways of leveling the power. There's ways of coaching. When I'm coaching folks, like I've coached more site administrators than I have teachers, triple the amount of site administrators. I was never a site administrator. And that could have created a sort of weird power dynamic, like principal saying, like, why are you coaching me? You've never been a principal. That's not the kind of coaching that I was ever... Um, committed to doing. And so that's where the role also of, for a coach of humility comes in, of being able to actually articulate, this is how I think about my job. This is what my role is. And taking really a facilitative stance with the understanding and recognition that the person you're coaching much more deeply understands their situation than you will ever understand. You don't need to fix them. You don't need to solve all their problems. You need to guide them to figure out solutions to their problems. But I do want to jump back and name again that the big problem is often in the lack of intentional systematic setup of a coaching program that doesn't take the, um, that, that doesn't set it up and that doesn't, sort of take the step of articulating the, this is the coaching style that you're going to use in our program. This is what we're looking for when we're hiring and this is what is used. So I just want to sort of, you know, name the systemic elements that when they're not there, create a lot of what feels like personal suffering. Like me as a coach, why don't they respect me? Why don't they want to meet with me? Me as a teacher, why are they in my room? Yeah. So true. It becomes personal. Yeah. And it, it's so, so true, you know, and it, 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 it I, uh, I amen to everything because <laughs> I, I like I'm working with the school district now. They're like, hey, we're going to hire three coaches because we got grant money to hire three coaches. No, there's no purpose. There's no. And here, if you're looking for a purpose, I wrote this down as you were talking. If you need a purpose for your instructional coaching program, start with facilitate a reflective process. Right. Like what a great purpose to kind of start with as you're setting up an instructional coaching program. I love that. I love that. And again, this book is is fantastic. You know, if you're an instructional coach, a school leader, you know, truly anyone in education, uh, it's going to be such a great book. Again, the release date is May. May 24th. May 24th is the release date. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Um, and we'll make sure the links are in the show notes that to, you can go and do that. And we'll link to the podcast uh, and, and more about your consulting company there as well. But before I let you go, one last question. In the introduction of your new book, you ask the readers to pause and recall a transformational learning experience that profoundly altered what they do how you think and how you feel. Before I leave you, can you maybe talk about maybe one for you? What, what, what's what been like a transformational or transformative learning experience that, that maybe you've had in your career? I love that question. You know, it's interesting because one of the first things that comes to mind is in 2018 and 2019, we started doing annual Art of Coaching conferences. And then we had to stop because of the pandemic, but we had two years in a row where we did these conferences and 400 people came and 
And that was something that I led and facilitated, but it was also something that was one of the most powerful learning experiences for me that I've ever had. And learning about how to create an event like that, how to build community in a few days, how for me as a leader to work with, I have an incredible team of folks that I work with and how to really maximize people's skills. And um, and, and the reason that that is coming to mind, I think, is because I'm recognizing that whether I am in a traditional sort of I am the learner, I am walking into the conference center, or I am facilitating, those are equally such powerful learning opportunities for me. Mm. So every time I facilitate, to me, it is my PD, it's my my learning on the spot, my, you know, I spend years reflecting on what I learned. And it is um, such a thrill. So I think I want to, you know, sort of just raise and leave that idea of like, can we really shift the paradigm around what is a place of learning and how do we maximize? So I say, you know, that was something I led and facilitated, but then what are the structures afterwards and during that I engage in to really maximize my learning and not just be like, great, good job, we're done. Um, How do I glean my learnings and my growth and then be able to apply those elsewhere in the future? So. Uh, I love that. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing like a learning experience when you're actually putting on a putting on a conference for sure and everything that you learn. And I just love like again your your mindset, right? Like there like even as a facilitator, it's a learning opportunity. You know, as a person putting on a conference, it's a learning opportunity. As somebody leading a PD session on a Wednesday after school, it's a learning opportunity as much as if not more for me as it is for the people I'm facilitating. You know, what a great reflective mindset to be in uh, as we go through. Thank you so much for your time. Again, the book is The PD Book, Seven Habits That Transform Professional Development. Uh, It comes out, it's released on May 24th. You can pre-order it now on Amazon and we'll make sure that that link is in the show notes as well. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, for being here, for sharing your passion around professional development and education with the listeners. Well, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.